Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. How are you doing today, Bree? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. We have such an exciting interview for you guys today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bree, who are we talking to? We're talking to Dr. Andrew Gallimore. He is a computable neurobiologist, pharmacologist, chemist, and writer who has been interested in the neural basis of psychedelic drug action for many years and is the author of a number of articles and research papers on the powerful drug DMT. DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And its effects on the brain and consciousness. He recently collaborated with DMT pioneer Dr. Rick Strassman, author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule, to develop a pharmacokinetic model of DMT as the basis of a target-controlled intravenous infusion protocol for extended journey into DMT space. His current interests focuses on DMT as a tool for gaining access to extra-dimensional realities and how this can be understood in the terms of neuroscience of information. And he is one of the world's most knowledgeable researchers on DMT. And he currently works and lives in Japan. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hello there. Uh, nice to be with you. Nice to be with you too. So we have you here today because you are speaking at Contact in the Desert this year. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. And what are you talking about this year at the conference? What is your lecture going to be about? So I'm interested in how psychedelic drugs can be used as tools for communication with advanced alien intelligences beyond our universe, basically. And I'm going to be talking about uh, why I think that and the kind of mechanisms uh, kind of the the neurological mechanisms, if you like. So how do psychedelics actually work in the brain and how do they allow us to communicate with intelligences that, that exist elsewhere? That's amazing. How did you even get into the study of DMT? Oh, good question. Well, <clears throat> it's I've been interested in DMT since I was a teenager because I was, um, you know, as I was kind of growing up and uh, developing and maturing, so to speak, um, I became curious about psychedelics and everything that I was reading about them. I was kind of fascinated by their potential. I was reading a, a book one day and it mentioned this curious molecule called uh, dimethyltryptamine, DMT, that is like a very powerful psychedelic trip, but it only lasts for kind of 10 to 15 minutes. And I thought, well, that's kind of nice uh, to be able to have an experience and you know, not be kind of trapped in there for hours on end. It mm -hmm. seemed like seemed like the way to go. So that was kind of the beginning, but and it's kind of gone from there really. So I, I started off with a just a, a curiosity of this molecule, and then that developed into a really a lifelong academic and other kind of studies. So my entire kind of academic and extracurricular career has been devoted to learning about DMT and learning about the brain and how these drugs work and what they might mean for our understanding of reality and our place within it and the other beings that we might share with it. When did your research kind of go over from just the study of DMT to the study of DMT and what it means with contacting extra extraterrestrials? So one of the characteristic 
and very kind of curious features of the DMT experience is that, well, in in kind of formal studies, at least kind of 50% or so of people who undergo a DMT trip experience contact with um, what appear to be autonomous, highly intelligent, alien-type beings that take many forms. And and that's really kind of fascinating for me. You know, why does why does this simple molecule that's you know the most common naturally occurring psychedelic? You know, it's found in countless species, plant species across the globe. Why does it reliably induce the appearance of these highly advanced alien intelligences? Um, so it, so I kind of I never made the assumption that this was just hallucination because I think that it's actually quite difficult to explain these experiences using what we know about about neuroscience and about how the brain works so mm-hmm. I, I came to the, the the position that well maybe we should take these alien intelligences seriously and actually consider the possibility that they might be allowing us to communicate with alien intelligences that are far more advanced than us and if that's true um you know what do we how do we go from there what do we do with this this drug technology, this molecular technology? Can we explain how it works? Can we develop it as a technology, as a tool for establishing stable communication with these intelligences? You know, that's, so yeah, that's, it's, it's a natural thing for me because, because these intelligences seem to be a fundamental component of the experience, that it, it only makes sense that you would study them. Could you see maybe other psychedelics as being stepping stones to DMT? Like DMT is the most out-of-body, reality-shifting um, hallucinogenic that we have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think in traditional kind of uh, traditional settings of indigenous tribes that that use psychedelics, there is often a progression from the m- most mild psychedelics. So, for example, salvia divinorum. Now, I'm not talking about the extract that people in yeah. You know, the West smoke, because that is fucking insane. Yeah, that's but, I, mean, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that, too, because I had a really crazy experience on yeah. that. And that kind of is what led me into looking into DMT. And I haven't been able to try it yet. But my personal experience with Salvi- Salvia was so different than other people's that I know. Like, I popped in somewhere else and I was talking to beings. Yeah. And that was, like, one of my first encounters, I guess, with other extraterrestrial beings. And it scared the crap out of me. Oh, they were, sure like, telling did. me, like, your life isn't real. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. showed me my life in a book and was like, you know, we uh-huh. watch over you guys. And I felt my my physical body crumble away and I remember like holding on to myself like where am I going I just want to go back in my body and it was like a feeling of death like I was dying and I was going somewhere else and then hearing about DMT some people talk about the same type of experience where it's like you feel like you're dying like is that the ego death is that the actual like you're separating from the physical body and it's just your consciousness and you feel that separation so it feels like death yes so so the in the in the, the traditional use of salvia divinorum and, and this also relates to dot is in the is in the plant so it, it's a plant and in traditional settings it, you would roll these 
big leaves up into like a cigar and kind of chew them and this mm. gives you a long lasting relatively mild experience so that will be a relatively mild psychedelic and then from there you might move on to mushrooms and then from mushrooms you might then move on to ayahuasca which contains dmt so so this would be the kind of the normal stepping stone progression uh, but but what we're doing in in the west is we're taking the active component of these plants um, so in the case of salvia divinorum, we're extracting this extremely potent molecule called salvinorin and and, and basically making a far, far more concentrated purified mm, form mm-hmm. and then and then and then smoking that. And so you're introducing very high concentrations of the drug into the brain, far higher than would be achieved with with the natural setting. Um, now, there are people who are, think that's a good thing or that's a bad thing, but it is, you know, that's that's the way it is. And. Yeah. So, so with salvia divinorum, with these highly concentrated extracts or even the purified form, you get this, as you, as you described there, this kind of reality shifting effect where your entire, the entire structure and content of your normal waking world is instantaneously almost replaced with a bizarre, unbelievably strange and highly complex reality that's, that's filled with intelligences. Now, what you described with salvia is actually quite common. This sense of your entire life and your entire existence or even the entire concept of human existence was some kind of show, some kind of a sideshow that just ended. And basically, you've been kind of there's often a mocking sense of, you know, we got you. This is this your life. Your, your entire life has been some kind of game. It's all over now and you better get used to it because your entire existence has gone forever and there's a sense of there's an almost a what i describe as kind of an existential absoluteness to this to the salvia divinorum experience and it can be extremely horrifying because you're you often lose any sense of ever having been a human in in the most intense experiences or the even even the concept of what it means to be a human is gone you find yourself in this astonishingly bizarre place and you've no idea how you got there and there's no possibility in your mind of ever going back because you don't know where you to go back to uh, yeah, and, and, and with that, the disintegration of your ego, the disintegration of your sense of self, and that is you lose all points of reference. Um, goodness me. Um, um, you lose all existential. That was a dog there I heard barking, but anyway. Um, Hi, puppers. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so you lose all kind of existential points of reference and thrown into this, this incredibly strange place. And no doubt, it's it's horrifying. And I think in many ways, it's more horrifying than the dmt experience the dmt experience really? is astonishing but in a in a in a kind of a more beautiful way whereas salvia there seems to be something a little bit sinister almost about the the, the high dose salvia experience and many people who take high dose high concentration salvia never want to go back so it tears apart the fabric of of reality itself and and kind of carries you through with it whereas dmt it feels like you're being shown some beautiful beautiful place filled with intelligent beings and it can be certainly be frightening uh, and shocking and astonishing and you know choose your word but it seems to be a place that you might want to return to whereas the salvia this salvia space seems to be much more brutal what it does to you. I think I had it 
backwards. Because, yeah, I was absolutely terrified. I mean, it was awful. For the longest time, I was almost, like, depressed for after. But then years later, I had a different understanding of it. And then I'm like, I want to go back. Really? Now, like, that's how I feel now. And it was after that that then I read The Spirit Molecule, and then I was able to watch it, and I saw all the pictures, and everyone's talking about all these beings, and I'm like, this is what I need to do next. I just felt like this would be my next step if I were to do psychedelics. But then, I don't know where I picked this up, but I had it in my head that I had to have all of my subconscious junk cleared out before I went there that it would be mm -hmm. more intense than salvia and that I might be presented with things that I didn't want to. So I was under the impression that I really needed to clear myself first. So that's always been in my head, like one day that it's on my bucket list, but first I need to continue working on myself and making sure that I'm 100% happy before I get there so I don't scare the crap out of myself. But you're basically saying it might actually be more, more of a calming experience than what I had before. Well, well, let's let's not get carried away with the word calm. I think calm is <laughs> yeah, that's not quite the right word. But I think what you're talking about, about, you know, is you talk about, you know, clearing your unconscious, things like that, dealing with with kind of hidden issues that you might have. Yes, that's that's, of course, always a good thing to do if you're going to be taking psychedelics. But in my opinion, it's actually more important with the um, with the longer lasting psychedelics where you actually have to spend time with yourself. So mm. just, with DMT, you're fired out of out of a, a cannon, basically into this space. And, and there's no real opportunity to deal with anything. It's like you're, 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 you're thrust into this space that seems to be completely other. It doesn't seem to be it's kind of bubbling up from your unconscious. It appears to be completely has no relationship whatsoever to yourself mm. or to the normal world you're familiar with. And so in my experience and in this experience of others, it seems to be less important. Um, you're not going to be spending hours dealing with um, deeply embedded trauma and things like that that you might get with you know, a high dose of psilocybin or LSD where you have to actually spend hours dealing with that and so that's really important there but with dmt it's like going on a roller coaster you know you just hold on tight close your eyes lie down and and basically enjoy the ride you know you'll be back in no time you know by the time you're you've just kind of realized what's happening you're already kind of on the way back so to speak you know it is only a five minute really experience and then a bit of a come down now, when people are, you know, having this five minute experience, when you're inside of it, do you kind of have like a little bit of a time dilation where it seems like you're in it for a lot longer? Or through your research, do you see that when people are having these, these trips, these, sh you know, short five minute, say trips, do they think only five minutes passed? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think it's more, rather than time dilation, it's more like you're going to a timeless domain. Oh. It's like the whole concept of the way that time works. Okay. in our reality is gone because the way that we judge time in the normal waking world is in terms of events things mm -hmm. that happen you know, we we kind of we have a kind of a series a set of clocks if you like in our brain yeah. and we know how much time has passed by what's happened um, so to speak um, and and it, because in DMT it's such a bizarre highly complex almost uh, hyper-dimensional space it, it's hard for your brain to get get a handle on 
how much time might have passed, you know, because a million things have just happened in 10 seconds. And it's like, uh, so it might feel in a way like you've spent a lifetime in the space. Uh, but but it doesn't feel like it doesn't like drag on. It's not like you've been given a, a thousand year sentence and you have to yeah. kind of wait it out. It's it feels like maybe 10,000 years, but not in a um, not in a torturous kind of way. It's like, yeah, I didn't ha- I lost all sense of time. I've no idea how long I was there. That kind of feeling. Would you say it's not really that we're hallucinating, but it's that we're being catapulted into other dimensions that do exist. It's just that in our regular, what we consider waking reality, we, we're in a lower, a lower realm of that, a lower layer of this multidimensionality. And so when we take this DMT, it just catapults us out of here and we're experiencing those other higher realms. Yeah, I mean, that's what I... I... I kind of hypothesize. I think what's what you have to realize is that in the normal waking state, when you're kind of experiencing the normal waking world, that that world that you're experiencing is is a model that's being constructed by your brain. So you're, the world that you experience is always constructed by your brain using information generated by these uh, neurons within within your cerebral cortex. And so what's happening with DMT is the DMT is stimulating the brain in a highly specific manner, which is causing the brain to begin constructing this entirely new model, which appears to be, in my opinion at least, uh, modulated by information from elsewhere so so it's like we exist within a a slice of a higher dimensional structure in that a square for example is a slice of a cube so if you imagine us living on a flat square on a plane and then taking the drug and then suddenly finding yourself in three-dimensional space um, how that would feel you know it's like you're, you, you've only ever seen flat objects before you've only ever seen squares and circles and suddenly you're presented with a sphere um, or a dodecahedron and imagine how confounding and, and bizarre that would be to you and it's kind of like that we we exist within this lower dimensional space this three-dimensional spatial uh, system and when you take dmt it's as if um the the higher dimensional structure of reality has somehow been opened up to your brain and so you find yourself tumbling through what is often described as a five six seven eight nine dimensional space and so it seems entirely impossible for you to comprehend this is why it's such a shocking uh, and astonishing experience because it's not just strange it is actually impossible the structures that you experience within the DMT space would be impossible to experience physically within our three-dimensional space. You know, we could never bring a four-dimensional object into this reality um, because we only have three dimensions to play with. So you're, you're increasing the dimensionality in some way. So it's, it's as if uh, we exist within this lower dimensional slice of, of reality, as I say, and, and, and we're kind of opening up and becoming effectively a higher dimensional structure within this, this high, uh, higher dimensional space. I would say it seems like a real place if people seem to experience the same type of things. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the common reports 
that people have when they when they're on DMT? What are some of the things that they see, the beings that they encounter? It's wide ranging. So so there are certain commonalities. There are certain kind of motifs that you experience within the DMT space. Uh, these are initially. So when you first take the drug, you normally would vaporize it in a small glass pipe. And and what happens is within kind of a few seconds, you start to get these highly complex geometric structures extremely brightly colored appearing you kind of you kind of hurtle through this um, rapidly changing procession of highly complex visual imagery and then assuming that the dosage is sufficient you reach what's called a breakthrough experience and this is where you can you seem to kind of burst through into a an, an entirely novel domain and this is a uh, usually described as inordinately complex, inorganic, so it doesn't feel like a natural place. It feels like a a constructed place, uh, very inorganic, very um, uh, high-dimensional, hyper-technological. So the whole thing kind of bodes of high alien technology, high uh, highly advanced alien intelligences, a, a place that has been constructed by some an intelligence that is way beyond anything that could even possibly exist within our universe. And then, um, more often than not, you are then confronted with the inhabitants of this domain, uh, which again vary dramatically. Um, so sometimes you will meet these probably the most famous. Uh, residents of this space are these giggling, lively, small creatures, often described as elf-like beings. Mm. Terence McKenna called them the machine elves. Uh, and these are very common, and they, they tend to be very lively. They're giggly. They're kind of full of energy. They dance around. They show you things. They kind of tell you to look, look, look. Um, they seem very, very delighted and, and, and excited. There's almost like a great celebration when you burst into this space and greeted with these little beings. Um, so they're the kind of the fun inhabitants. Then you have helper kind of entities. So these might be figures that take various forms it might be a hooded figure it might be a being of light it might be some other uh, godlike creature that can take many forms and then sometimes you have less benevolent beings so reptilians or insectoid uh, so like mantis-like aliens. There's some of the same kind of alien, I guess alien archetypes that you see within uh, alien abduction experiences. So the gray aliens you don't tend to see, but you do often tend to see reptilian types or insect-like beings that that often will perform experiments on you or will, will, uh, you know, sometimes can get quite aggressive and quite nasty. And people have described being raped by... Oh. A reptilian might be raped. I think the the word was that they telepathically scanned me, fucked me, and then ate me. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh my god, that's quite the experience. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So you can. That'll be Yelp review. Yeah, so uh, you have to be. I mean, these these are relatively rare. I mean, you, it's not like you're you're guaranteed to be to be raped when you go into this space. So don't get me <laughs> wrong on that. Um, but you know, these kind of things can happen. You know, they, they're not necessarily. It's not all beings of goodness and light. You know, these can be quite uh, objectionable beings with some kind of malevolent intent. Um, so, but but normally 
in most cases, I would say, you know, 80, 90 percent of the cases, these are beings that are happy to, happy to have you there in a way and, and are in some way willing and eager to communicate with you and try and show you things and say, oh, goodness me, you've um, you finally made it here. Let me let me show you around. So it sounds like to me, and I, I've never done drugs before in my life, but it sounds like to me that DMT, like if I was trying to explain it to someone, I would say that the best way I would say is like DMT is like, it's, it's a portal. It opens you to that other side. What is it? Do you think it's like you're opening up a portal when you take it? Is your brain chemistry changing? Like what is it specifically about this drug? Do you think that gets you over that hump and into those other dimensions? Yeah. So this is, this is where some people I think this is where a lot of the misunderstanding about what DMT has to do or what DMT does kind yeah. of arise. So some people, yeah. So it, it, people think uh, maybe you're, you're, there has to be some kind of, as you describe, perhaps you know, a portal that opens up to some other place, or your your mind has to be transported somewhere, or even your brain. But actually, in, in the normal waking state, as I said, your world is always being constructed by your brain. But there's an influx of sensory information. So you, sensory information is entering your brain from the environment through your senses, through your eyes and your ears and your nose, etc. And the brain is using that information to kind of inform the model that it is constructing. Mm -hmm. Now, so so in order for you to go to the DMT space, all that actually has to happen is that information has to flow from that space into your brain. And then your brain can use that information to kind of construct a model of the DMT space. So that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing a model of this other place in the same way that in the normal waking state, you're experiencing a model of the outside world, a model of the environment. So what DMT is doing, it's changing the 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 patterns of information that your brain generates and allowing it to kind of tune in to this information source uh, that is normally unavailable and allowing this to kind of gating the flow of information from this other space, wherever this space is, and then your brain can begin constructing uh, a model of it. So, so that's is it, kind, is it kind of like like you're tuning your frequency almost like on a radio station, like you're having to tune to that certain kind of frequency in order to reach that? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of a good, it's a good analogy. Got you. It, it, yeah, it's not exactly what's going on, but it's that that kind of idea. Yeah, the idea that you're normally you're kind of tuned to the environment, the normal waking environment, and that when you take DMT, it's 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 not just kind of nudging the dial. It's actually switching, to, it's finding a new channel, uh, and allowing it. you to tune into this this space and receive information. So that's what I think is going on. So the DMT um, realm is always here. It's just we're being able to sense it when DMT is in our system. Exactly. So in the same way that when you, you know, when you switch the TV channel, mm-hmm. um, the other channels are all there. Always there. Yeah. Yeah. But they're all the same distance away, so to speak. The, the only difference is that, you know, you've tuned into one channel. You're receiving information on one particular frequency or one particular um, one particular channel of the, you know, the cable system or whatever. So it's, it's that kind of idea. Yeah. Well, okay. So one thing I've heard is a lot of people doing these float tanks recently, and they talk about having very similar experiences to DMT and seeing beings and things like that. Is there some sort of a similarity that between the two of them where, you know, the DMT is helping you tune into this? Are these float tanks, these sensory deprivation tanks, essentially almost doing the same thing that the DMT is doing? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think so. Normally, your brain is the information your brain generates kind of is is constrained by the flow of sensory information. So your brain is kind of held uh, in this its its usual frequency channel, if you like, by sensory information. So when you remove that sensory information, such as in a flotation tank, you're allowing the the patterns of information of your brain to kind of wander and find new states. And occasionally it might wander into kind of a new channel and and start picking up information. DMT is like the the kind of the fast, efficient switch, whereas a flotation tank, it's more like you're just letting, it's kind of the difference between wandering wandering aimlessly around a landscape and hoping to find something and taking a shortcut. yeah. yeah, exactly. Taking the, the bullet train to um, to the destination, you know, it's that kind of thing. You might end up in who knows where when you're kind of wandering around. But whereas, you know, the, a, a train will take you directly to your destination. I hear that DMT is naturally occurring in lots of plants and mammals and that it hasn't necessarily been proved that it's in our pineal gland. So I wanted to know your thoughts on that, because lots of people say that it is in our pineal gland and that it is released when we're dreaming. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) So there's a difference between there being DMT in your pineal gland and there being sufficient quantities of DMT released by the pineal glands to actually affect your conscious experience. So just because you find, I mean, everybody's brain contains DMT, everybody's blood contains DMT. And that's been, we've known that for decades, since the 1950s, people have been looking for DMT in, in people's blood and urine and spinal fluid basically trying to connect the DMT state to schizophrenia originally. People thought maybe people went mad, people became psychotic because their their brain was releasing too much DMT. That's not well supported now. That's kind of an old idea. And the pineal gland, well, I mean, that has a long history, a kind of mystical history, which is why I think people like the idea. There's a kind of romantic idea that maybe the pineal gland, you know, the seat of consciousness, the third eye, this kind of stuff. It would be nice, right, if DMT was being released by the third eye. Amazing, right? But unfortunately, reality bites. Um, The the pineal gland, it's a very small, it's like the, the size of the end of your little pinky uh, finger you know it's 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 not a big structure yeah and and it's it's its role is really to produce melatonin which is a which is a sleep hormone the the amount of melatonin melatonin is actually a very potent molecule and you only produces very very small amounts into your brain uh, as you become sleepy at night as the lights go down now the pineal gland is designed to make very small amounts of this melatonin. So for the pineal gland to make large amounts of DMT is kind of unrealistic. And people have actually done calculations on how much DMT the pineal gland would need to release. And it's kind of way beyond the capabilities of the pineal gland to be releasing large amounts of DMT. Um, so there's no evidence supporting the idea that that the pineal gland releases DMT and then it causes dreaming. And of course, if, if it did, we would expect people's dreams to be like the DMT state, whereas they're not. They're not. You know, people have studied dreams for decades as well. And we know a lot about the content of dreams. We know that most of the time, not everybody, not all of the time, but most people, most of the time have dreams that are pretty much representations of normal waking life. It seems to be, you know, you do the same things in the dream state. Yes, things can become strange. Yes, things are more, the scenes are more likely to shift and and change. But, But basically, 
the dream world is very similar to the normal waking world in, in most respects. So there's no evidence, you know, you, most people aren't regularly experiencing reptilian entities and aliens and hyperdimensional worlds, you know, in the, in the dream state. So there's no, it doesn't even make any sense, in my opinion, that the pineal is releasing DMT and causing dreaming at all. So all the people out there on the, on the internet that are telling people not to use the toothpaste with fluoride because it'll calcify your <laughs> pineal gland and you won't be able to release as much DMT at night. That's all bullshit. <laughs> well, you said it, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Yeah, there's a lot of this kind of, um, uh, what's the word for it? Kind of woo, woo, kind of woo. Woo, woo. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the internet and people think, People think they've heard facts, and and I see it or every day almost. You know, in these groups, these groups on Facebook, people will say talk about decalcify your pineal and uh, and uh, you know about releasing, opening up your pineal gland to make it release DMT. Uh, but no, there's no no evidence. I'm not saying that DMT can't be produced naturally by the body in high concentrations uh, or that you can't induce it if there was a part of the body that was going to be producing dmt it's not going to be the pineal gland i don't think it's more likely to be the lungs for example Mm. do contain all of the the required sort of biochemical machinery if you like to make dmt and that would make much more sense the lungs are a much larger structure with a much higher surface area they're much better positioned to be releasing uh, dmt into the bloodstream and so when people say that they've they've experienced breakthrough DMT trips just by using breathing exercises, you know, advanced med- breathing pranayama kind of meditation techniques, I don't I don't know if that's true, uh, but I wouldn't discount it. Um, I think it needs to be looked at. People need to, to, you know, it should be easy to measure as well because you would be able to see mm-hmm. when these people were doing this breathing exercise, you would be able to measure the, the concentration of DMT in their blood. And if they were having a DMT trip, you would be able to detect that quite easily. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kind of, I'm shocked, but I'm glad to hear it from you because there <laughs> yeah. is a lot of people out there that I'd spread a lot of stuff like that. And it seems like, well, obviously not just because you're a doctor, but it seems like you take this very seriously down to a scientific approach, definitely not woo woo in any way. But have you had some type of spiritual experience yourself with looking into this? Um, well, I mean, I've had many experiences with DMT. Um, I mean, I've, I've always been interested in, I mean, since I was a little kid, actually, I was always interested in um, the occult and with it, you know, ghosts and vampires and werewolves were kind of my kind of the unholy trinity. Yeah. Yeah child and it, and it troubled my parents somewhat uh, that I was interested <laughs> in these things but there was always a for me uh, a deep fascination with the, the weird and the strange and the the kind of the the hidden sides of reality and so in a way I think studying DMT and psychedelic is a natural progression from there I think one can go into kind of purely uh, occult practices you know I could be you know, you know a white witch or you know I don't know doing some kind of spiritual practice but right. and that's one way to go uh, but for me I've always felt uh, I wanted to kind of keep one foot firmly in in scientific territory I mean I certainly I mean many orthodox neuroscientists think I'm out of my fucking mind <laughs> Um, sure. Yeah. 
you know, but um, but I, I always try not to go too far. I always try to keep one foot, as I say, in firmly implanted in neuroscientific ground and then kind of reach out. And so, yeah, I, I use I use the science. I use the neuroscience to try and try and understand and explain what's actually going on whilst not being overly concerned with what other scientists might think of what I do. Many of them would say that what I say is, is uh, you know, I'm some sort of crackpot, but I, that doesn't bother me. Well, that's very refreshing, though, because I would assume that it would be kind of difficult to do it, what you do. There's this whole stigma, I think, around people that experiment with psychedelics. Everyone just thinks like, oh, a bunch of hippies, you know, psychonauts are just trying to, you know, whatever, just get high. But it seems like particularly with DMT, it's not really about that, at least for a lot of people that do take it seriously. It's not about getting high. It's about having this other experience and trying to bring whatever they can back from it if they can remember. Yeah, I think I think the problem is is the decades long demonization of, of drugs and that kind of umbrella term that we're taught mm-hmm. from from childhood. Don't do drugs, right? And mm-hmm. drugs means everything. They're all the same. They're all bad. Drugs are for mugs is the, drugs the are phrase for mugs. that we have in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drugs are for mugs. And so, you know, when people when people hear that you're interested in drugs, they 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 see they see the hypodermic needle. They see you lying on the street injecting heroin. They see you smoking crack. Mm-hmm. They, they, they see all of these things. They don't see somebody who's interested in alternate states of consciousness. And, and actually, you know, it's not, it's, as you say, it's nothing to do with getting high at all. Uh, I mean, you can certainly using low doses of certain psychedelics. I mean, you know, a gram of dried mushrooms is can be a delightfully can be a lot of fun, you know, wandering yeah. through the forest, set around a campfire, whatever. Um, you know, these drugs can be used to have fun. And I've got no issue with that. I'm yeah. not one of these kind of spiritual purists that says yeah. you have to use these drugs, these molecules, these medicines in a certain way. And if you don't, then you're a heretic. Yeah. Um, at all. I think these molecules can be used for for enjoyment and for pleasure and for, you know, just enjoying the, the state of consciousness that they, that they engender and that they elicit. But then there's something, there's another side to it as well, where you can actually go deeper and and, t- and take these more, these non, entirely non-recreational drugs. I mean, no one would ever say that DMT was recreational. Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> you know. It, Every day after work, exactly. I relax, yeah, exactly. smoke some DMT. <laughs> Get home at six o'clock in the day, when I sit down and smoke a few pipes of DMT. I mean, nobody, well, some people probably do, but most people <laughs> That's not their idea of a good time. You know, this is something that you do quietly and with some intent and with a relatively, you know, with some trepidation, a trembling hand. You know, this is, um, uh, yeah, these are bizarre realms that we are kind of granted access to for reasons that we're not quite sure of. And um, yeah, I take them, I take them seriously. I think we should treat them with great respect and um, uh, go in there with an open mind and kind of say, Uh, What can you show us? Right. Well, it seems like there is at least some shifts happening. I mean, we can see that with psilocybin, that people are taking that more seriously, that it has therapeutic uses. And I mean, I'm here in California. Oakland just legalized mushrooms. That was huge. I was so shocked. Is that what could happen in our future? We start taking these things more seriously as dropping the stigma? And there has to be some sort of therapeutic use for DMT, right? 
Um, yes, I mean, this is uh, kind of this, the, the moment we're in the middle of a, a psychedelic revolution uh, in psychiatry, certainly. And the, the studies that have, the kind of preliminary studies that have been done with, with psilocybin specific, particularly have shown remarkable benefits in the treatment of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, alcoholism, even, you know, drug addiction, for goodness sake. You know, people are, be- people are being relieved of, uh, of, of decades-long addiction to you know opioids or alcohol uh, you know drugs that are actually killing them uh, with um, psilocybin um, so there's going to be and there already is as you say there is a shift now people are starting to see these molecules starting to kind of scrape away this crud that's built up uh, over decades you know when when psychedelics were first discovered in in the 40s and 50s at least by western medicine they were treated as potentially extremely useful tools in psychiatry and there was many many papers were published mm. showing the potential benefits in the treatment of alcoholism in, in particular mm. uh, and 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 the problem of course is that as soon as they they were demonized by, you know, it's kind of the, the Nixon administration, yep. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the war on you know, drugs, yeah. Exactly, you know, uh, public enemy number one, the problem of dangerous drugs, you know, Ugh. that kind of thing. Uh, and then the, the whole, basically, psychedelic research came to a standstill. And they were, they were demonized uh, and, and vilified. And then we lost decades, literally, of research with these drugs. And only now you're starting to see people realizing what we've missed. And unfortunately, as you say, there is this, this sea change in a way. And that's only going to expand. You know, when people start recovering from treatment-resistant depression, you know, extremely severe depression that can only normally end in suicide, and people are being cured, not just treated, not just numbed by some uh, psychiatric medicine that they have to take every day, but two or three sessions with with psilocybin, and their depression is is, is lifted. You know, kind of reset the brain in in a sense. Once people see that happening regularly, uh, and it's shown to be safe their opinion can only change you know you can't hold on to these outdated ideas that these are evil evil drugs and that you're going to be addicted to them and that you know they can only cause you harm because that's clearly not the case i can't help but feel like it was made for us we were supposed to go down this rabbit hole of finding it those who wander off and dare to explore get to find the whole world of DMT and come to those realizations. Something about it to me seems like it was put here for us. Yes, I think... I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. There's something, for me, that's one of the most interesting and almost confounding features of DMT is that it is the most astonishing reality switching molecule that we know and at the same time it's it's everywhere it's 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 in you know you look out your window there's probably half a dozen plants that contain some amount of dmt so it's like the message is everywhere um and we just have to locate it we have to discover the message and then we have to learn to decode it essentially and we're kind of doing that now we're learning to to use this molecule uh, for yes for therapeutic reasons which are really important but also for potentially uh, communicating with these alien intelligences that perhaps have been waiting they might have been waiting for millions of years for us to kind of evolve and develop, reach a level of cognitive sophistication and technological advancement where we can actually discover this molecule, isolate it, and then develop it as a technology, which is where we're kind of at now. That's amazing. I have one quick question for you that's kind of silly, but I just want to know your thoughts on it. There's this funny thing that goes around the internet all the time of people saying, 
wouldn't it be so funny if when we die, we're just holding onto a bong and we're actually aliens and we're like, whoa, that was so weird. <laughs> like thinking that this was reality, but really this was like a DMT trip. And then now that we're taking DMT, we're like going back to actual reality. I know it's like crazy, but I always think mm, it could be possible. What are your thoughts about that? I don't think it's crazy at all. No, I don't think eh? I don't think we have any idea of our place within the larger structure of reality. And, and DMT shows us that. It shows us that we are this very kind of parochial little universe that we think is the center of everything. Actually, is, it's a very, very small part of reality. So no, it wouldn't, it would surprise me, but it wouldn't, but in a way, I, I don't discount the possibility that our entire life could be some kind of extended trip in some way. And, and it's weird because people often experience with high dose DMT and even high dose mushrooms, I've, I've heard these kind of stories where people will take a very high dose and then kind of wake up in a, a pod um, and then they're kind of surrounded by these alien beings and who are kind of uh, and they kind of welcome them back. And crazy. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, you, we've just brought you back to do some maintenance on you or something like that. Mm. And it's like, yeah, they look around and they see all these other pods with kind of beings laid down, you know, sealed. And it's like maybe we are experiencing a kind of uh, an entirely constructed or hallucinated or dreamlike, matrix-like, that kind of idea. Uh, and that, that DMT is indeed showing us back, showing us the way back. Because people do very often describe this profound sense of deja vu when they go into the DMT space. It's the strangest experience of you, 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 wow. you, could, you couldn't even possibly imagine. And yet, at the same time, uh, there's this profound sense of having been there before and having returned home, in a sense. Um, and that's kind of eerie uh, and, and, and difficult to explain. And does it mean that we have been there once? You know, do, are we kind of ferried from that place into this lower dimensional world for a few decades to kind of experience this place and then we're kind mm. of brought back into the larger structure of reality which is the dmt space i don't know it's fun to imagine and uh, we can't rule anything out absolutely uh, reality could just be an illusion inside of an illusion sure. there could be a whole nother illusion on top of that it's just like mind-bending yeah exactly. absolutely mind-bending well, man, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. You definitely so opened up my eyes to all kinds of other other layers. Now I feel like I am ready to do DMT. <laughs> You'll never be ready. That's what I always okay. tell people. people oh, I like people that, though. Yeah. People say to me, well, am I ready yet? It's like, you'll never be ready. And then that's the, that's the thing. It's like, okay, have you done other psychedelics before? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, then that's about as ready as you're going to get. So I'm ready. No. You're yeah. right. I'm experienced. <laughs> yeah, but if you've done salvia, if you've done high dose salvia, I definitely you know, so. high dose and um, yeah. mushrooms yeah. and LSD many times. Uh, then you're you're in a good place. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I would say go for it then. Yeah, awesome. Go. Thank right. you contact so the desert much. 2022. Yes, contact we'll, the we'll... 2022. <laughs> we'll wander out in the desert somewhere in between <laughs> lectures. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on the show with us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Everyone, please go check out his website, buildingalienworlds.com. He has a great book out, Alien Information Theory, Psychedelic Drug Technologies, and the Cosmic Game. You guys can get that on his website. It's also available on Amazon. 
also check him out at contactinthedesert.com. This year's virtual event, he will also be there talking about some awesome stuff. Thank you again, Andrew, for joining us on our show. It's been quite a ride in itself. <laughs> thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Andrew, thank you so much. You have a great de- rest of your, I guess, day there for you. And I would say good, I'm about to say good night. It's eight o'clock over I know, here. I forgot. Night. He's in the future. <laughs> All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.